three, two, one. Oh my goodness, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Whatever time you're listening to this show, I hope you're having a wonderful day. And if you're not, then I hope this show make, makes you feel a little bit better. This is The Film Room. I am your host, Andrew Pearson. And today, we're going to break down some more football players. Um, I started this show last week, and I had a blast doing it. Last week, uh, we broke down DJ... Uh, well, we broke down Blake Martinez, linebacker for the um, Green Bay Packers. And... Uh, we pointed out why he sucked, <laughs> plain, plain and simple. Uh, today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I cut, I cut the uh, studs and duds section of of this show. Uh, I felt it was first of all a little too similar to all the other football shows on on this radio station. And my goal with this with this show is to be different. Uh, I want to break down film on all of the of your favorite breakout players instead of just saying, "Oh, you got." Uh, Five catches for 143 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I want to I want to break down why exactly he that that specific player did so well, and maybe just te- make us all better and smarter football fans. All right, because uh, I this game is really beautiful. It's in it's more complicated than you think, and uh, I I really want others to appreciate it as much as I do. Now let's get started. Let's get started today. Uh, we are going to be breaking down DJ Chark, a uh, wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He he was a second round pick out of LSU. That means he's my boy. I love LSU. <laughs> um, he he, play, he actually played pretty bad as a rookie. I'm going to be honest with you. He he dropped a whole bunch of passes and he just did not look great as a rookie. However. If you look at him this year, he's playing absolutely outstanding. Uh, he just a great jump. He has a ninety point two grade uh, for PFF. That leads all second year receivers and uh, PFF, obviously Pro Football Focus. They're a great, reliable site to get uh, good information for your fo- for your football tastes. And um, he's been playing great with Gardner Minshew. And as much as I really like Minshew, I like Minshew a whole lot. Uh, I think he's playing really well. He didn't play well last week, but he been, he's been playing well pretty much the whole season for um, since Nick Foles got hurt in week one. Um, let, let, let's start the breakdown now. Uh, here, here, are six, here are six points. Uh, like we did with Blake Martinez, uh, we're going to do six points on what I think is most important for a wide receiver in, in the modern NFL. Uh, first of all, they need to be able to get separation. Right? If you can break, if you can break away from the corner with great route running and good use of hands, then uh, I think you're going to be a better receiver than I don't know, just some jump ball guy. There's a reason why Chris Godwin is playing better than Mike Evans right now. In Tampa Bay, uh, another one is contested catchability. Can you can you hang on to contested catches? Can you make them? Uh, that that that's a symbol of a number one receiver. Uh, third is release. Uh, it's pretty easy. Um, how good are you at beating press coverage from from corners? 
and how good are you at breaking away from them? Uh, number four is physicality. Is Are you strong enough to beat press coverage? Can you use hands to break away on a go route against that corner that's trailing you? And um, not five is yards after catchability. What can you do with the ball in your hands after you catch the ball? Peep, there, there are great receivers with yards after catch. I think of Steve Smith Sr., uh, retired wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers and uh, Baltimore Ravens. I, I think of him when I think of yards after catch. And number six, are you a diva? Simple answer, DJ Chuck is not a diva. He's a pretty cool down-to-earth guy. Uh, from from all accounts, he he's no Antonio Brown, that's for sure. Oh my goodness, we're already five minutes in. All right, so let's get into the first play, shall we? Um, this is second and 16 on the Jacksonville 37, 11, 11 minutes and nine seconds into the game at Carolina. He is lined up on corner cornerback Ross Cockrell, and he just has an excellent jab step to the inside, beats him on the post, and uses it in just beautiful route running. Now, uh, he had a really good release. I liked his first step. He stepped to his right, he stepped with his right foot to try and flipped his hips to his left to try and fake out Ross Cockrell that he was going to run something to the sideline. But he didn't. He broke back inside, and he found the soft spot of the zone coverage they were playing in the middle. Uh, good, Again, good use of hands. He, he did a nice job of fighting off the press coverage. Didn't let Ross Cockrell punch him in the chest to try and slow him down. Um, yeah, he... It, and it was good. It was good yards after catch. He he fought he fought against the safeties and and the defensive backs uh, to carry them for like another uh, like eight yards. It it was it was a good look. It was a good look. All right, second play. It's first and ten uh, on the Carolina thirty-two. Uh, this is the deep ball. This is the deep ball two two feet in. Uh, barely caught it when he was reaching for the goal line. Uh, the next play was uh, a Leonard Fournette touchdown, as you fantasy owners probably know. Um, just a really good jab step to the left. Try and fake out corner cornerback James Bradbury that he was going on the inside. And he just had great physicality to beat that press coverage again. Really good use of hands, knocking knocking the cornerback's hands away to try and get a clean release. Uh, he he showed off amazing speed. Again, I, I I forgot I forgot to tell you guys this, but this dude is six four and runs a four three forty. So this man is a grown man, okay, and he just blew all the way down the sidelines. Somehow James Bradbury caught up caught. Caught up to him. Uh, I think he ran a 4-3 as well, but I'm not going to take the time to check that. <laughs> um, again, uh, it was a really good back shoulder catch. Uh, it was thrown uh, just 
at the out-of-bounds sidelines. And he made a really good adjustment on really good coverage to make to make the catch. All right, third play. Third play. Again, I'm trying I'm trying to get by this a little bit quicker today. Um my my show is uh, a little bit shorter than I would have liked it to be. Uh but we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it, guys. Uh, third play now. Uh this is first and 10 at the Denver 35 4 minutes and 55 seconds into the first quarter uh at Denver. He he the 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 specific coverage that the Broncos are playing on him cuz they know he runs a 4-3. All right? He he's built like a Greek god. So, they're giving him 8 yard more or less like 8 to 10 yards of cushion. And what that means is that instead of the cornerback playing right in front of the receiver is they play farther back to make sure they don't get beat deep because they know DJ Chark can just run past him. And so Jacksonville takes advantage of that and they call a double move for DJ Chark. And what that is is that you run you run one route and then fake and then fake that you're running it and then continue going. And so what that means on on this specific play is that DJ Chark is faking the go route, the streaking route. He's just going straight ahead. He's just trying to get as far deep as he possibly can. And once he's a, and once he gets in the corner's face after he eats up that eight yards of cushion, he fakes like he's running a curl. So he turns his he turns his body back as if he was looking for the ball. Thing is though, he's not running that curl. He's still running the go. So after he fakes it, he completely burns the corner who who bit super hard on on that on that fake, gets wide open against cover two. Gardner Minshew places the ball really well. Um and DJ Chark makes a really beautiful diving catch uh, on the sideline for the ball. I mean, you, if if you're looking back, if you're looking back at this highlight, um, it it's extremely impressive, and you'll you'll just get to acknowledge that DJ Chark absolutely destroyed this man's ankle. Again, it's completely different from his rookie year. His rookie year was just awful. Now, those plays were with him lined up on the outside. Uh, That means either the the X or the Y receiver. They are the receivers closest to the the sidelines. Now, here's one with him in the slot. Him in the, the Y position on the offense. That is the wide receiver closest to the offensive line. And he's running a wheel route. So he's just trying to move laterally to start the route. And then he goes straight. So what to to envision what that looks like, it's kind of like an L, more or less. All right? And he he runs it to perfection. I'm going to be honest with you. 
the the safety who drew the short stick on covering him just got burnt, got absolutely burnt by that 4-3 speed. And if the ball was just placed just a little bit better, and if DJ Chark just kept his feet in bounds, this would have been an amazing catch because he already caught it anyway. It went for an incompletion, but he caught it. He caught it out of bounds. But if he just kept his feet in bounds, and if the ball was placed just a tiny bit better, this could have been one of the most amazing catches I've ever seen. Because he caught this sucker one-handed on the sideline in a super tight window throw. I mean, I, I know I said I said he burnt the free safety. Uh, he it's more like he's he's got a step or two on, which is burnt in the NFL. But you get my point. And just barely, he he catches the ball out of bounds. Um, I mean, he he look. It's amazing. It's a tight window. It's tight window coverage. And he he makes that he makes that contested catch. True, really impressive. That that's a number one receiver right there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the fourth play that I put in here. Uh, it is first and ten on the Denver thirty-nine, with ten minutes and thirty-four seconds in the first quarter to go. Um. Wait, no, is this is this the right play? Give me a sec, guys. I'm I'm only half stupid, I promise. Ah, yes, this is the contested catch. Okay. Give me a sec, y'all. Alright. This is uh this is not that. This is uh second and second and ten on the Denver twenty five or on on the Jacksonville twenty five, one twenty seven left in the fourth quarter. Gardner Minshew actually gets the ball punched out of punched out of his hands uh, by Bradley Chubb on this play, but he picked it up and he and even though it's a short game, he fits it in to DJ. And if you're rewatching this, you learn to appreciate DJ just caught that ball with the defensive back putting pretty much his entire shoulder and arm in between his arms, and he still made the catch. Just think about that for a second. Imagine you're trying to catch a ball, and some dude is pretty much laying on top of you. You, There's no way you're going to make a catch. He's going to knock your hands down, right? Well, DJ make the, made the catch. He, he's, he played great. He, he had a really, really nice play. Is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, I mean, you, a number one receiver makes those types of catches, and he bring, and he brought it down that time. I really like that. All right, let's go to the Tennessee game. Uh, let me skip ahead. I, I have all the plays in front of me on my iPad right now, and I, I put it into a video so I could uh, better, you know, uh, Skip through these plays and better analyze it for you guys. So this is the touchdown catch against Tennessee uh, on Thursday Night Football. 
this is 6.55 in the first quarter left to go. They're on the 20, Tennessee 24. Third and 11. They got to have this down, right? DJ Chark is aligned on the outside again. And again, he's just running that go route. He's just running straight ahead, trying to get into the end zone. And if you rewatch this play, he absolutely he he just speeds past the corner and makes a super tough tight window jump ball with an with a again with an arm with an arm in his chest and he makes the catch. He makes the touchdown grab. I believe this ended up being the difference in the game. Um it was a great Great tight window catch. He had a really good use of hands to break the disruption on the defensive back on the release. He swatted those hands away. And as he was running for the end zone, he kept fighting off that defensive back. So I really like his physicality. Uh, he He used his size really well. Again, this dude is a Greek god. He's 6'4". And he just boxes out like this poor 5'11 corner. He just boxes him out and and just takes the cookie jar ahead of him. And he snags the ball for the touchdown. Great throw and great catch. All right. Uh, I believe this is our last play, folks. Uh, again, I'm trying to keep this segment under 20, 20 minutes or so because I kind of ranted a long freaking time on Blake Martinez last week. And I want to get to other stuff, man. I just do. But this is probably my favorite catch from him in the whole, this whole film room. This uh, we've we've gone through a couple of touchdown catches, but this one, this like thirteen yard completion on Malcolm Butler is probably some of the best wide receiver play I've ever seen. And I'm not even joking with you guys. So the corner is an off zone is an off zone coverage. So he's playing like five yards back from DJ. Uh, the cornerback is Malcolm Butler. I know you Seattle fans are kind of having PTSD on that one. Uh, he's the guy who made the incredible interception in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks uh, on, the, on the last play of the game. And he's in Tennessee now. He's in Tennessee. And. He gets mossed here by DJ Chark. So DJ eats up the cushion again so easily and so quickly uh, that Malcolm Butler was giving him. He was giving about giving him about uh, five yards of separation, and they're on the sideline, and DJ Chark absolutely mosses this man. Oh my gosh, he, uh, uh, again, he used his hands to break the disruption while they were on the sideline from Malcolm Butler. So uh, that, again, great physicality. And this guy just, just jumps over him, man. He just absolutely embarrasses him. Uh, he great use of his body to box out that receiver. It was a back shoulder throw, so he adjusted really well. 
to to the throw from Gardner Minshew. Boxed it, boxed out the corner with his with his big body, kind of used his body as a shield to guard his hands to to better make that catch. And I don't know what else to say. He looked like Randy Moss on this play. Again, Randy Moss was like 6'4", ran like a deer, and just won every single jump ball. DJ Chark is not that far off from that. I really do believe that. DJ Chark can be like Randy Moss. I don't think he. I obviously. I don't think he'll be a Hall of Fame player yet. Uh, I, I won't suggest that. But I think. I think this guy. This guy is special. You don't see catches like this every day. All right. Julian Edelman is not gonna. Is not gonna make a play like this. He'll make a good. A, a good play in the slot, but he won't make catches like this. All right. This guy. Is amazing. He's been playing amazing this year. He's been playing out of his mind. And I'm so happy he is. Because he's one of my LSU guys. I love LSU very much. And I am so happy he's doing better at the second level. Uh, I mean, this guy's a diamond in the rough. I also picked him up in fantasy just in time for this game. So, uh, before anybody else knew who he was. So, I feel kind of proud of myself. (laughs) Um... In conclusion, though, in conclusion, let's recap. DJ Chark looks like a whole new man this year after looking like a dud last year. At the rapid rate he's developed, I wouldn't be surprised to see this guy become the next top receiver in the league. Jacksonville really lucked out with this guy because, I'm going to be honest with y'all, he looks special. He look he looks really special out there. And I hope he continues this I hope he continues this development over the next couple of years. Because he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players. And I really I really love watching him play. Because he just straight up burns defensive backs vertically. And he'll beat them laterally with routes. He beats them he beats them really well with slant routes and dig routes. And all of the above. This kid is special. I promise y'all. Okay. Um, I told y'all I cut studs and duds this week. Uh, I did that for a very specific reason. Uh, there's just simply not enough time. Uh, my my show's going to get cut a little bit short this week. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I, think, uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and take a break here. So... Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back in a couple of minutes uh, after the song. And we are going to discuss why fans of terrible, terribly run teams still stick with them. Anyway, guys, my name is Andrew Pearson. You are listening to, Kit, to 88.9 The Bridge. And I will see you in a couple of minutes. All right, folks, we are back. Back. Welcome back to the film room with Andrew Pearson here on 88.9 The Bridge. Uh, this is the show where we break down your favorite breakout football players by watching the film. And um, we're actually going to talk about something a little bit different. We just finished talking about DJ Chark 
breakout wide receiver here for the Jacksonville Jaguars and why I love him so much. Um, look, we're going to be talking about something that not a lot of people love very much and it's something I'm still trying to understand why people do this. It's understanding fans of bad and failing franchises. Now, if, you're, if your team is just bad, then you just kind of have to wait for them to rebuild, right? But what I don't understand is fans of teams who stick by their teams despite having terrible ownership, getting rid of all of their decent players, all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted help understanding that. Uh, I alluded to last week that I had a friend who was a Redskins fan and why the Redskins were so terrible in a dumpster fire. Uh, this week, I decided to interview him. And not only him, uh, I decided to interview my Chargers fan, Thomas, uh, my local Chargers fan. He's a, they're, both, they're both good dudes, my friend Harry and my friend Thomas. But I wanted to understand, with teams with such poor management and teams that just seem to have stopped caring about the consumer and don't seem to have a plan and just seem to not care about their fans at all. I wanted to know why the few fans that still stuck with those teams, why are they still sticking with those teams? So I interviewed them. I interviewed both of them. Uh, I interviewed both of them at the same time. And I think this is a glimpse into the pure pain that some of these franchises cause people and just the eternal disappointment. So I think I think we start off here. I asked them, "Hey, how did you become a fan of this of these terrible teams?" And my friend, my Chargers friend said, uh, it was cuz he was born in Los Angeles and he wanted to pick a team that was closer to the city because at the time the Rams were still in St. Louis and the Chargers were still in San Diego. Uh, for my for my friend Harry, the Redskins fan, uh, for him, it was because his dad was a Redskins fan and he wanted to be like his dad. And, you know, kind of, kind of went through the family tree. His dad was in the glory days, like the 80s and 90s when they were actually good, but not anymore, clearly. Um, when I asked them, hey, how, how was your relationship with your, t your team growing up? It's clearly for, for, well, at least for the Redskins fans specifically, it's an attitude of, oh, oh gosh, dang it. I'm trying not to curse you guys. Can you tell I'm trying? Can you tell I'm trying? <laughs> uh, but the point, they, they cursed in their answer. That's why I'm trying to fix it. But it's more of an attitude of, oh, oh my God, they're on again. Are you kidding me? I guess I have to watch. And it's just that, that, that attitude that these, these poor fans are forced to go through at such a young age. It, it really make, it makes you question, why are they still with this team in the first place? Why? Um... For my Chargers, for my Chargers fan, it was more of, "Hey, uh, I always root for my hometown team," kind of deal. 
And um, yeah, I mean, for 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 my for my Redskins fan, it was just like fall false hope with players like RG three before they were ruined, and then Kirk Cousins, and now with Dwayne Haskins, and it's it always seems that well this is in his answer, but it always seems that Redskins fans hope dies by Thanksgiving. It just does. It dies by Thanksgiving because they know that they're that because he, they know that their team sucks and their team has just been eternally disappointing them for years. Um, when describing, I asked them to describe how they felt now, how they felt about their team now, how they felt about their current situation, and it's clearly. A hatred for the owners. It is a clear disdain for what the owners have done and created in their franchises. My 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 Redskins fan, my friend Harry, he straight up does not want anything to do with the team until Dan Snyder dies. <laughs> it's true. He doesn't want a single iota of viewership. Of the Redskins. And I feel bad for him because he still loves his team. He still cares about the team and he still cares about the players. But he does not want anything to do with them so long as Dan Snyder is still there. And I think Dan Snyder is the root of most of the problems there in Washington. Dan Snyder is a terrible owner. He meddles in football operations. He is clearly extremely arrogant, stubborn, doesn't want to change, and he thinks he knows football better than the coaches he and GMs he's hired to do that job specifically. He's a bad owner, and he doesn't seem to care about the fans either. I mean, he does seem to care about winning with all those free agent pickups he's had since 1999, but if you go to a worst free agent signing, you go if you go to like any top ten list of worst free agent signings ever, I guarantee you there there will be three Redskins on that list. I guarantee it, and it's unfortunate because Danny Snyder sucks, and he's the one who wants all these players. He's clearly the one who wants these guys and overpays them. And screws the team for, for like three years because of their cap penalties. Now, for my Chargers fan, it was more of Dean Spanos, um, current owner or current partial owner of the Los Angeles Chargers, and how he treated the city of San Diego, how he left, and now when you look at Chargers games. There's a picture of James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster uh, celebrating in the end zone after Sunday Night Football earlier this week. Uh, sorry, guys. I, I just need a little bit of water. I'm My throat's killing me, all right? <laughs> it's not been a good day for my throat, okay? But I'm getting through it. But essentially, my Chargers fan disdain for the team right now is... The complete arrogance of owner 
of, of the owner, Dean Spanos, and how he's treated the team, how he's treated the fans, the few fans that are still there. And I was getting on this point earlier. I just got, I, I distracted myself with water. I'm sorry. But the Chargers have no fan base. They have no home home field advantage at all. Uh, like I was saying before, there was a there's a picture of James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster celebrating a touchdown in the end zone after Sunday Night Football. And you look into the background of that picture. It's all the black and gold brigade. <laughs> it's it's all Steelers fans. How? They're the the only the only way you could tell that it was in Los Angeles is because of the Chargers banners on the sidelines. And like the sole cheerleader, the poor the poor lady. Oh my goodness. It's just it's clear that the Chargers were not wanted in Los Angeles. They came anyway. And it's clear they will not succeed in Los Angeles. And that's really sad. Because all of this is hurting the fans. Um, I I went to my final question. Um, again, I'm trying to keep this segment as short as possible because there's still a couple things I want to talk about, guys. Still a couple things. First of all, um, I I asked them, considering your disappointments with both of your teams and the complete loathe you have for the ownership and what they've become. Why have they not said no more and just leave that team for good? And what is keeping them as fans? And I also asked, hey, if you did quit, if you did quit your team, your respective teams, what what team would you root for? And I got an int- I got some interesting answers actually. And I think. This finally cracks the code on why fans of terribly run teams continue to stick with those teams. My my Reds my my Redskins friend told me that on a certain level that being a Redskins fan is part of who he is as a football fan. That his cynicism and hatred of the Cowboys is part of being a football fan for him. And if he were no longer a Redskins fan, he wouldn't have, to a certain extent, he wouldn't have that as much anymore. Because presumably he, he would root for the Bears if he wasn't rooting for the Redskins. He says, most of all, he wants to see his team fixed with a new name, a new owner, and try and move on with a new culture. Oh, man, water's so good. <laughs> but point is, he want he'd rather see his team fixed. With which isn't going to happen. Dan, Daniel Snyder is not going to give up the team. But he wants to see them fixed with a new owner and a new culture. Because he, for him, it's not Football just isn't the same without the Redskins. And he finds himself cheering for the Redskins even though he hates them so much. So I I think this is like 
a case of an abusive relationship. This is not, this isn't healthy. It's not healthy at all. But they continue because football just isn't the same. It doesn't have the same joy. It doesn't have the same feel without their terrible team. My Chargers, set, my Chargers fan was like, hey, I chose my team. I'm going to stick with it. I'm not a bandwagoner. Uh, as much as I hate all the moves and the fact that we wasted two Hall of Famers in Antonio Gates and um, and Phillip Rivers, forgot to mention uh, Ladanian Tomlinson and traded away Drew Brees. Oh, no, they didn't trade him away. They let him go. But the fact that they gave up Drew Brees... Hall of Famer. They wasted Ladanian Tomlinson. Hall of Famer. They, they've they wasted Philip Rivers so far. Hall of Famer. And they've wasted Antonio Gates. Hall of Famer. The fact that they've wasted those four guys. Well, Rivers and Gates specifically. For him. But, point is, they've wasted all these guys. And it brings him incredible disappointment. But the desire to stick with his team and to stick with his hometown team is never-ending. And, again, it's because football isn't the same without the Chargers for him. And I think, I think again, I'm going to repeat myself here, but that, that's, that's how these fans feel. That's how these fans put up with this. It's because... Football just doesn't isn't the same without their respective teams. Now, my recommendation for them is to just freaking flat up and move on. But I, just keep that in mind. If you got a friend who is a fan of a wallowing team, like say you got a Bengals fan as a, as a friend or something, just keep in mind the pain they go through. And just the mentality that they have to keep up to stick with their team. And just respect that. Because it, it, it takes dedication and some honor to stick with your team. Because football does not bring you the same joy without those teams. Alright, I think I'm going to move on to my final segment oh jeez my throat is dying right now uh, I'm not sick I'm not sick but talking for an hour man it hurts I'm just trying to keep it natural guys I, I hope you're enjoying this I know I, I'm not I'm not coming out all that great uh, I, I think I like the, the first show better uh, lots of uh, lots of point repeating for me sorry sorry I know I can do better. I'll do better next time. There's always next week. Uh, once again, I, I cut studs and, duds this, studs and duds this week purely because uh, I didn't have enough time. I got to end this show in like eight minutes or so. So uh, I'm going to try and cut it short. But uh, maybe next week I'll bring it back uh, when I have a little more time to record and just a, a smidge more time to, to prepare. I'll do that for y'all. But I want to talk about this Monday night game. Oh, my goodness. I feel so terrible for Trey Flowers 
of the De- of the Detroit Lions. Poor dude. Oh my goodness. I mean, this dude kept getting rickrolled on on hands to the face calls. This dude has never been called for that in his life. And he gets and he gets two on key situations in the game. He gets called for it, gets called for it on a sack on third down that probably that may very well have iced the game for the Lions. And on a key third down, once again, with pre- with pressure on Rodgers when he was forced to throw it away in the end zone, or well, not in the end zone, but in the red zone, when he was forced to throw it away, hands to the face, Trey Flowers, first down Detroit, or first down Packers. And that's that's not even acknowledging that Aaron Rodgers played great. And he's the only person on that offense who played great, and that Kenny Gall and that Kenny Galladay on Detroit played really well, and that Matt Stafford played well. We're not, we're ignoring all of that because Trey Flowers got two ghost calls. These NFL refs need to stop. They they straight up they need to figure it out. I am genuinely angry on how they've treated. And called multiple games this season, and how they've been on the decline for almost three years now. I mean, last week it was a ghost offensive. It was a. It was on the. It was on the Packers, and it was a ghost roughing the pass where they just slapped Dak Prescott in the face. I think it was Preston Smith or Zedarius Smith. I don't remember which one. And this week, it's against the Packers again. But talk about home field advantage, man. The the refs were definitely were definitely on the Packers' side on this one. Just bad, bad calls. They've been calling awful, awful. They've been calling awful plays all year this year. So I went. So I tried to look up. Hey, uh, maybe these refs don't get paid all that much. Uh, maybe the NFL isn't treating them all that great. No, they're getting paid like 200k a year for a part-time job. All right. So they're not it's not like they're getting it's not like they're getting 15 bucks and a ham sandwich for their salary. They're getting they're getting paid to do their job. And I mean, come on. Come on. They're ghost calls. They need to be fixed. And I do like how they have like head of officiating on like the on every broadcast team now to try and correct it for for the people watching at home. Uh, but even when every single one of these guys is like, "Yeah, that shouldn't have been a call," or "Yeah, that should have been a call," I mean, it's pathetic. It, it's truly pathetic. That the NFL continues to trot out these the these refs, these terrible, awful, no good refs that keep ruining games. They continue to ruin NFL football. I remember last year they were just bullying Clay Matthews on every sing for for roughing the passer on every single every single game until he got. Hurt or something. I don't remember. And 
Uh, I think I think they got I think they got the Eagles uh, on a on a, another ghost roughing the passer this week. Uh, I'm not sure if it was this week or some other week. The point is, uh, they're they're not calling the games right, and it's not like they're not getting paid. So something's up with the NFL. They need to figure out these refs because if they keep officiating like they do, they're gonna they're costing they're costing teams games. That was the Lions game. And I, I actually really like the Lions this year. I think they've shown a lot of fight. I think they've really developed under Matt Patricia. And I think he's going to be a good coach down there. But, I mean, come on. These these refs need to stop. These, ref need, these refs really need to stop. All right. Uh, I think that's about it for my show, guys. Uh... Again, sorry was cut off so early. Uh, I didn't want it to get cut off so much. But, you know, duty calls. Time time ran short. I got to get to my next period in five minutes. So, thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please, please email in. I would love, love that to happen. Because I really, this show is a blast. This show is an absolute blast for me. And uh, this is my new favorite Class, I love it. It's so fun. And I'm having fun doing it. I'm having fun breaking down. Um, I'm having a lot of fun breaking down football players for you guys. Um, it, it, again, if you like it, email, email in to, came to, to our radio station. We'd love, we'd love to hear from you. We always love to hear from the listener. And um, that's about it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. This this is the film room. I was your host, Andrew Pearson, and I love every single one of you. Have a great day, folks.